0: Excited to start a brand new sermon series. Today we are starting a brand new sermon series on Jonah. Um, In 2017, we actually went through Jonah together as a church. Uh, I wrote a devotional that went with it. We're not going to go back through this. If you want this, because you want it to like help you with the Jonah series, you can go to Amazon and look up my name, and it'll be there somewhere. Um, But it feels like you know, it feels weird to do something we've done for me. And yet, how many of you, just by show of hands? How many of you were not coming to Covenant Church in 2017, just by show of hands? Okay. So everybody who was here, I'm just going to do the exact same thing we did. I'm just kidding. Um, The reason I wanted to do Jonah is partially, most of us weren't here in 2017 when we last did Jonah. Secondarily, Jonah is a super helpful scripture to go through um, for a preacher because one of the great luxuries is you already know the story. You kind of know the bones of the story already. Jonah's this prophet. He gets called to go to Nineveh. He doesn't go. Instead, he gets on a boat, and he's going the other direction. God sends a storm. They throw him off the boat. Uh, Large fish and or whale and or sea monster grabs him um, and then spits him out after he prays, spits him out on a beach. Then he goes to Nineveh. The people are saved And we kind of go from there. So that story, the beats of that story are known, which means I don't have to kind of go through the logistics of the story as much as we get to dig into, but what does it mean for us? And we get to get a little bit deeper into the, how does that principle apply to me? And that's kind of fun for me. So that's why we're getting into it again. I think it's gonna be important for us. We're gonna dig into obedience this week. Next week is repentance. The third week is bitterness. And the fourth week is control. And these are things that I think are important for us in our current day culture. So let's just get into Jonah 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, we're going to read it out of the message because it's familiar, so we'll give a little different spin on it. Um, so that's what that's going to be up there. Scripture says, One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But, God, uh, but Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare, went on board, joining those who were going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. So that's where we'll start with a story this week, and and I'll actually start with a, a story of my own. I've told it before, but again, you may not have heard it new faces mean I should probably tell it again. It's not my favorite story to tell because it's not one of my more proud moments of my life, but it feels like a very Jonah moment in my life. I was working at a bank two decades ago, it's weird to say. Um, right off the highway, major city, major highway, you know, eight lane highway, and, and I'm, I'm working at the bank right off the highway, and so I'm at a week of training, and I don't know if you know, uh, you always, if you work at a bank, you just train all the time, you don't even work. It's just always more regulations and more training, so I'm, I was like a lone kind of person, so I had to do more training. It's a whole week in a classroom of intense boredom, but they pay you, so it's not the worst thing, and so you'd sit for the morning in boredom, having to learn new rules and regulations. You get released to go out and find lunch somewhere, and then you come back for an afternoon of intense boredom. This was what the week was. Basically, you get paid for a week to just daydream, and um, then you said you did it. So one day, maybe whatever the most boring day of the week is, Tuesday maybe, maybe Tuesday, a Tuesday, uh, they release us for lunch, and I go out and get my lunch. I'm zooming down the highway. I find the place I want to eat. Um, I take my time. I sit in the sun because it's frigid inside of the training room, and um, then lunch is ending, and so I'm going to head back to the bank for another boring afternoon of training. As I I go back to the bank, I'm on a three-lane frontage road next to the eight-lane highway, zooming about 50 miles an hour, and at the stoplight right before the entrance ramp, I'm zooming through a green light, and I think I see someone I know standing at the corner with a cardboard sign begging and I realized this isn't just somebody I know. I went to high school with this person. Actually, I was a basketball player. That was the manager of the basketball team. I think that was my friend begging at the street corner. I'm realizing this as I'm through the light and about to get on the highway. I'm, I'm recognizing I think this was him. And people have stopped me and said, how do you know? I mean, going pretty fast, how do you know? My friend had radial club hand, which is a, a disfigurement of physical malady where both hands kind of are in a claw shape up against the body. And so I'd never met anybody else like this. And it was definitely him because he had his two hands clawed up against his body with his cardboard sign. And I was like, no, that's definitely my friend. It was distinctive. I couldn't mistake it, I couldn't kind of wish it away. And I felt this burning through the light in slow motion going, you've got to help him. You know him. And by the time the thought kind of caught up to me, I'm back on the highway, I'm back in the room, I'm back in training going, you got to help him, but what do you do now? I sat there all afternoon. I was not paying attention to the new rules and regulations being given to me. I was thinking about how I didn't stop to help this guy that I know. I could only think of him. Training ends around 4 p.m., and everybody kind of chats a little bit and heads home. I sprint out of the room, back into my car, back to that intersection, and he's nowhere to be found. I'm looking under the bridge. I'm looking in all the different diners and shops around. is anybody know he's not here? He's not here. I never saw him again. For me in that moment, and maybe this is something you can use, I don't know. For me in that moment, delayed obedience, like I did go to try to help him, didn't I? It was delayed obedience. Delayed obedience for me in that moment was disobedience. And we got to be careful because we sometimes take our time with uh, hearing from God. We sometimes take our time with listening to God. And sometimes our delayed obedience becomes disobedience. For me, it was a profound moment because I got to feel Disobedience in real time. Usually in life, it takes us a minute. In Jonah's story, his disobedience was pretty quickly met with a storm. And the, the thunder and the lightning and the waves and the crashing and, and pretty, like, Jonah couldn't resist the idea that this was about him. For most of us, we make a decision on Monday, and it might be months before we figure out that that was disobedient or before anybody else could know or the storm comes. This was the most profound moment for me in the moment I knew I should have turned around, I should have stopped, I should have found some way, I should have blown off training, I should have got fired, I should have helped this guy, and I didn't do it. And I I had to feel it then, in that day, and then for weeks to come, and every day driving through that intersection, my parents still live three minutes from the intersection, I still, every time we're back in Texas, I pass that intersection, I always think of him. I have to feel that disobedience over and over again. It's not something I want to experience again. Have you ever been sure of something you needed to do? Like you've known I need to do this. Somewhere you needed to go, someone to help, a move to make, a relationship to end, a truth to deliver. Is there ever something you know, yeah, this is something I need to do? God invites Jonah to a new shore. He's one place, he needs to be at another, a distant city. Sometimes God has a new shore for you someone to reach, a place of healing, a relief from struggle. What that requires of us is obedience. It always requires obedience of us to go and take the step towards the thing that God has for us. It requires that we listen, we hear God's voice, and then obey him in whatever he's asking us to do, which is usually an easy thing for me to say here, you listen to God's voice and you do what he says, and people go, that's really cool, how do I know his voice though? Great question. Sometimes you just know. Sometimes you hear an audible, booming voice from the heavens. Sometimes you know, and you're convicted, and you know in the moment that this this whisper enters into your soul, you go, that's the voice of God, and I got to do what I got to do. But sometimes you go, I don't hear anything, and you're telling me I should know the voice. How do you hear from God? To that, I would say, who knows you best? Like, When people tell me uh, they're struggling with loneliness, uh, what I invite them to do is I say cultivate a friendship, find a group, find people that will know when you walk in the room, they know something's up. Do you have people in your life when you walk in the room and you're not right, they know something's up? Maybe it's a spouse or family, maybe it's friends, family who is it that when you walk in the room and you're not quite right, that you're off a little bit, that you have, they can read your eyes, they can read your face, they can, um, I, I read a thing where someone's smile didn't quite make it to their eyes is what the, the writer wrote. This person was, was struggling and he said the smile didn't quite make it to their eyes. You know that look when somebody's smiling, but you're like, your eyes tell me you're not happy. Who, who knows you like that? Somebody. Somebody knows you like that. My kids, my wife, they know me like that. I can walk into the house and they know within five seconds, they know what's wrong with dad. What happened to dad? And I try to, no, I'm fine. Let's just, okay, everything's great. You know, I'm very, I'm a man. No feelings. They're not buying it. Come on. What happened? What's wrong? What'd you hear? What'd you see? What'd you do? And, And then they'll know also once it's, the emotion is identified or the struggle is identified, they'll also know what I need. Okay, well, let's, you're not making dinner. We're going to go out. Or you're, you know what? Let's, you need to go make a fire outside. Go grill something. You just get out of here for a minute. And that'll help you. And they, they know. And they're right. How do they know that? They spend time with me. The people who spend the most time with me know me the best and know before I tell them what's happening, before I give them an instruction, you, you would, that's the other part. They know what I want from them too, don't they? They walk into a room and they see my eyes. They're like, oh, what do you need me to do? What did I do wrong? They know. Kids know. How? They spend time with you. And in, in interactions over and over, in spending time with you for more and more time, people end up knowing you better and better. The most obvious way to know God is to spend more time with God, then wouldn't it be the answer? How much time do you spend with God? And you go, okay, now this is another kind of nebulous idea of spending time with God. Is it sitting with silence? Is it a devotional? Maybe. The easiest way to know God is to know God's word, though. God's, God's character is revealed in his written word. God's, God's heart and his design for his people is revealed in his written word. And so if you go, I just wish I could know what God wanted for me. I wish I could hear God's voice. I'm going to just check. I don't know how many pages your Bible has. I should have looked this up before. We, whoa. Over 1,100 so far. We can get to the uh, Over 1,100 pages of God's design for humanity. Over 1,100 pages of God's will for his people, 1,100 pages of God's heart for the universe. God's got 1,100 pages all wrapped up in the person of Jesus, but all really given to us. So if you, I wish I could hear God's voice, I would say you can hear God's voice. He wrote it down. He used men throughout history to, to write down his heart and his desire and his will and his word. So the first way you know God and you, you hear his voice is you have to know his word. It's his heart on display. You can also hear him by the storm you're in. This is a different one. Jonah knew God's intention for him. Jonah knew where he was off because Jonah found himself in a storm and it was pretty clear to Jonah he had just been disobedient and, oh, this is for me. Sometimes the storms of life speak to us. If you're listening, like when we fail to obey, we often experience a storm. Jonah had to literally be thrown off of a boat in order to calm the storm. He had, to be, he had to abandon his disobedience in order for the storm to be calmed. But storms will redirect us and storms will recenter us. They will re-humble us if we haven't gotten it already. They will remove your ability to be a spectator, too. What a storm does in your life is it takes you off of the sidelines of life and puts you back into the game. Growing up in South Texas, I had seen pictures of what snow looked like. One time in 1986, it snowed. That was fun. I didn't know what it was like to live with snow. Last couple years, you don't know what it's like either, but... But a snowstorm is different watching the Weather Channel in South Texas than it is living through it. Shoveling your driveway is different watching people on the Weather Channel do it than it is doing it yourself. <laughs> Hurricanes, we see. Hurricane's on the news all the time. Every year, hurricane, that looks like a lot of wind. Different to see something on the news than to walk through it. Different to see a tornado on a video than to live through it. The storm, when you're in it, doesn't allow you to be a spectator anymore. We are a spectator sort of people. Everything we do is through a screen. We like sports. Oh, you like to play? No, 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 I like to watch other people play. It's more fun that way. We like all kinds of things. We like most things through screens. We like, we like storm chasers. There's whole shows and YouTube channels with millions of subscribers of people watching other people be in storms. But when you're in a storm, it, it gets your attention. When you're in a storm, it wakes you up. Eugene Peterson says it like this. He says, a storm is an environment in which we either lose our lives or are saved. In a storm, there's no safe ledge from which to watch the wind and the waves. There are no bleachers from which to enjoy the lightning and the thunder. Whatever else has been on the agenda is on it no longer. There's only one thing, salvation or death. In the middle of a, of a, of a profound storm in your life, all the other stuff fades away. You notice the things you don't care about when, when real life starts happening? the things that don't matter anymore, it, it takes you from all of the spectating sideline activity and puts you right in the middle of everything and says, now you get to make a choice. When your marriage is in a storm, when your health is in a storm, your finances or your spirituality, your faith is in a storm, any of those things, when you're in one of those storms, it's hard to deny you're there and you can't think about much else. And the Bible is telling us that failing to listen and obey is to invite that storm, almost like it's God's way of getting our attention. Also, we might want to invite discernment into the party. Jonah heard God's instruction and he got up, and it says he went the other direction. He didn't hesitate, his disobedience came quickly. You wonder if Jonah had waited for a few minutes if he would have discerned God's will and and behaved differently. said he heard what God wanted him to do when he went around and he bought a ticket and he got on a boat to go the other direction. What if he'd waited a couple days? I was thinking about the Christmas story and how Mary, it said, pondered what the angel said to her. I I liked that. That's my favorite part of the Christmas story. She pondered these things. She treasured them in her heart. What does that mean? She she sat with them and, and discerned, what does this really mean for my life? Because discernment takes time. And impulsiveness can be our enemy. And this is interesting because I just said, had I just been a little bit more impulsive on the highway, I might have actually helped this guy that God told me to help. So you're saying the thing you needed is the wrong thing? I would say my speed was the problem, not my discernment. I was moving too fast to discern. Going 50 miles an hour, it's pretty hard to stop on a dime and help somebody when you're asked to help. You and I are too distracted, too busy, too, we're going too fast in too many directions to discern anything. And and so, yeah, I needed to stop in the moment, but what I needed was to be going slow enough that I could. Jonah goes immediately into disobedience. You and I often go immediately into disobedience. And what we need is discernment, but discernment takes time, and that's not something most of us want to deal with. I was talking to my 11-year-old recently. She has a dance opportunity this summer. We're trying to figure out there's two or three different places she could go and continue to be enriched in her dance journey. And we're like, which one is it? And I said, well, which one do you think it is? She goes, I think I need more time. I went, oh, tell me more about that. She goes, well, I just think I need more time. I don't know. And if we pray about it and we feel like God tells us to do one thing, he'll provide, but I think I just need more time. And so we got to talking about that, and I said, why does that feel like something hard to ask for? And she goes, because everything has to be done fast. We we don't get time anymore. She, at 11 years old, recognized that we live in a world where time is not something you're afforded. Patience is not something you're allowed. Have a decision, make it yesterday, and get moving. Culturally, discernment and patience, those are not things we value anymore. Long-suffering is not something that we look at and treasure in one another. Getting to a right decision can be work. You hear God's voice, you read God's word, and you need to make a decision in your life, and you want to make it yesterday. And, and the Bible continues to say, maybe maybe ponder it. Maybe sit with it. Maybe slow down. This is not our cultural ethos. This is not our national motto. Theodore Roosevelt uh, said this famously, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. This is the most American thing you're going to read today, I promise you. The best thing you can do is the right thing. The next the second best thing you can do is the absolute wrong. Just do it though. Have some fun. See what happens. Great leaders are decisive. We fail fast. We fail forward. Let's keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep churning, keep trying, keep going, keep working, keep spinning. This is our our national ethos. Just keep activity. The second best thing is the wrong thing. In his logic, we have... um, Plenty of, let's say, um, as a girl dad, I'll say it this way. We have plenty of um, wonderful young women in this church who are not yet married. Young women, you're in this area generally, okay? No eye contact, you know who you are. In this American, Rooseveltian, I don't think that's the word I made it up, um, logic, if the wrong guy came and made a marriage p- proposal, the best thing you could do, the wrong guy, not a good guy, The best thing you could do would be the right thing. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to marry you. The second best thing you could do is to go, sure, why not? (laughs) Yeah, we are wrong for each other, you're not my kind, ooh, no, no, but yes, I will do that. (laughs) It's the second best thing. The worst thing you could do is go, can I think about it for a minute before running away and changing your phone number? Um, This is the... The silliness of the logic you're commonly faced with, though. That's not something you've probably ever even heard, but it is something that is endemic in us as American people. I'm not saying we need to be indecisive. That's not it. But I would say it's entirely possible that the best decision is to wait to make a decision. In any, given, in any given situation, it's entirely possible that the best decision you're going to make today is to wait to make that decision. And that seems like ooh, FOMO says, I can't wait because I'll miss out. I have a, an app idea. This is a million-dollar idea. You want a million dollars, make this app, okay? It's called Gracebook. It's like Facebook but Gracebook. Okay, here's how it works. You install it on your phone. All you have to do is design it, model it, um, get it approved, develop it, brand it, um, advertise it, and you million bucks. Easy, okay. It, you would install it on your phone and it would be called Gracebook. It would apply to all your social media, Instagram and the Snapface and all the things. Okay, and then um, when you have a post to make, Gracebook is like a filter on top of your social media. So you put your reel in or your story or your TikTok and you put it in there and you go, this is what I'm gonna post. And then Gracebook takes it and it'll hold it in a folder somewhere you can't see in the cloud, they say, for 24 hours. And then in 24 hours, it'll send it back to you. It'll say, hey, dummy, do you really wanna post this? <laughs> and nine times out of 10, you'll say, yeah, now that I think about it, probably not a good idea. And that's all it does. For a dollar a month, everybody in America will have this. You'll make a billion, cut me out a little bit, 10% to church, you know, do the thing. <laughs> and we can do this together. Do you really want to post that? How often have you gone back and gone, oh, I saw one this way, I get sent stuff all, I'm not on social media, I get sent more than you ever would believe, so many screenshots. Can you believe this? And I'm like, yes, yes I can. But with you know, but with Grace Book. Um, but applying that logic to your real life might actually be a good idea, too. Do you really want to go forward with this? Do you really need to go and buy that? Do you really want to really go to Tarshish, Jonah? Jonah, what if you took 24 hours and reconsidered this idea? What if you wait and buy that ticket tomorrow? How many things are we um, getting ourselves in? How many storms do we find ourselves in because our disobedience is an immediate disobedience? Sometimes the best way to truly listen is to hear something and then sit with it until you have clarity. And then sometimes we've listened and we've heard, but there's still these barriers to disobedience. So let's talk about what those are. First thing I think, and we already kind of mentioned it, is we get sidetracked by distraction. We know the thing we need to do, but there's just too many things going on. And so we don't do the thing we need to do because we got stuck doing something else. I meant well, but I got distracted. And so for those of us who are sidetracked by distraction in life, who, are, who our disobedience is usually in our busyness, we have to slow down and simplify. Some of us are sidelined by sin and shame. You're the person who says, God couldn't use someone like me, or if you only knew what I've done, or if you only knew what I think. You, you have self-disqualifying behaviors, you think. For that, you go back to God's character, you go back to God's design for the world, you go back to the way that God loves his people, and you go, oh, it seems that God used prostitutes and cheats and fishermen and tax collectors, so blue collar, white collar. God used Paul, who persecuted Christians, to be the hands and the feet and the voice of his people. So it can't be that. Your sin and shame can't hold you down. Or maybe you're shut down by unbelief, so you're sidetracked by distraction, or you are sidelined by sin and shame, or some of us are shut down by unbelief, which is either unbelief in God, whether I say I believe or not, the evidence of my life will tell you what I really think. God's asking me to do something, and I go, oh, no. That's my unbelief in him. Or it's unbelief in self. Yeah, he wants me to make a difference, but I'm not enough. We're back on that second, that second hurdle again going, I know he wants this for me. I know his design for my life is that, but I just don't think I can do that. Either way, the unbelief is, is a lack of faith in him, either because he wants to use me, so my unbelief in self should be overrided by his belief in me. Okay, if God thinks I'm capable, I'm gonna get in there. Or I heard what I think God wants me to do but I'd rather do what I want to do, that's my unbelief in him. Unbelief was Moses' problem. Moses was famously tabbed by God to lead his people and and take them out of slavery, and all he could come up with is excuses. You go to the early part of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to send you to bring my people out of slavery. And Moses just adds excuse after excuse. We're going to put him up on the screen so you could see him And we can read through them. Basically, in in Exodus 3.11, Moses says, I'm nobody. And God says, I'll be with you. In 3.13, Moses says, I'm not smart enough. And God says, I am. In Exodus 4.1, Moses says, I'm not persuasive or compelling. And God says, I am. Exodus 4.10, Moses says, I'm not good with words. I have a stutter. I have a speech impediment. I'm not good with words. God says, trust mine." Exodus 4:13 basically Moses finishes the whole thing by saying, I'm just not adequate. I'm just, I'm not enough. I'm not what you need. I'm not the person. And God says, I'm more than enough. He sends him a helper, but he goes, listen, it's really about whether you trust me or not. And we see that Moses does incredible things. He's actually held out from the promised land because of his, his excuses here, his disobedience. God has to kind of push him into the role, but this is us in so many ways. As God wants you to do a thing, God wants you to take on ground, God wants you to reach your neighbor, God wants you to make a difference, he wants you to activate, he wants you to give, God wants something for you, and you go, ah, ah, and there's always a response that's hard to deny. Moses didn't believe in himself, which means he really just lacked faith in God. If God wants to use you powerfully, your self-doubt is just a lack of faith. Like God doesn't know what he's doing. This week actually leaves us with a lot of questions as we work through Jonah. This week, we have a lot of questions. What are the barriers you're running into in your life? Are you sidetracked by distraction and busyness? Are you sidelined by sin and shame? Are you shut down by unbelief? Jonah ran away from God's call. Moses argued that he was even worthy of the call. Where are you resisting? Where are you running? Where are you going the wrong direction? Or what is the storm you're currently in? What's the battle you're in right now? Yeah. And then answer the question of what is the storm I'm in trying to tell me? What's the storm I'm in trying to tell me? We don't get into things by happenstance. And cert- I mean, sometimes there's circumstance. and No one could have saw this coming. I had no partner, in it. It kind of came on me. I still think God's talking to you through it. But most of the stuff that comes into my office, let's say it that way, most of the problems of our people that come into my office that are tearfully relayed to me, most of those are storms that are trying to tell us something. We got there together. We got there because of something in our life that needs to be addressed, and we're not addressing it, and so the storm just sticks. Jonah famously had to go overboard because the storm revealed his disobedience. Sometimes it's possible that God is trying to get your attention through the storm he currently has you in. Maybe to wake you up to a reality or maybe to save you from a wrong direction. So what is your current storm telling you? I would say this, God is always active. He's always inviting us to new shores, whether that's uh, someone you need to reach with love and grace or a place of healing for you, relief from a struggle, a new level of understanding and intimacy with your heavenly father. But the invitation is out there. In a quiet whisper or a violent storm, the question becomes, are you listening? And will you hear the spirit of God speaking in your life? And when you do, when that discernment clicks, will you obey? So when God says in your life, when God says you see that guy begging on the highway, I don't care about your job at the bank, turn around and help him. You'll be ready. When God says, be honest with your spouse, today is the day to be honest with your spouse. You'll obey. Check on your neighbor, or in the middle of a casual conversation with somebody that you don't know all that well, and you hear that whisper that says, tell them about me, you obey you and I have the remarkable ability to commune with the God of the universe. And we take it for granted. We get busy with our lives. We become pretty self-centered. And when we truly listen, what we hear is not just the God of the universe telling us to do things. He's not a parent giving us chores. He's a loving creator inviting us into glory. Glory. He's inviting you into the redemptive arc of humanity. He's inviting you into the most meaningful, purposeful things you can ever imagine. And it simply requires us to stop long enough to listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to hear your voice. And if I'm being honest, we want to hear it uh, audibly and unmistakably. We want, to, uh, we want to be sure. And yet, Father, I'm aware that that's not always the way you speak to us. It's not always the way that you get our attention. So, Father, uh, give us a sensitivity as a people to you. Find us in your word more often, seeking to know you and know, know your heart so that we might hear your voice even when it's not speaking audibly. God, make our spirits sensitive to your nudges throughout the day. Bring to mind the next step when we don't know what the next step is. Father, remove from us the sin and shame. Slow us down and get rid of the busyness and distraction. God, help our unbelief. Remove the hurdles that we might enter into the glory and the purpose and the meaning of your design for us on this planet. God, thank you for including us, not just saving us, not just getting us out of a bad situation, but including us in your rescue plan for everyone else. Father, infuse us with a new sense of purpose and a new desire and motivation to know you, that we might live in the fullness of your call upon our lives. God, we love you. We long to hear from you pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.